Today we're doing something a little different. We have an in-person interview with a missionary from Japan who also runs one of the world's largest YouTube channels focused on affordable watches. We'll talk about his missionary work, we'll talk about the life of faith, and yes, we will discuss watches as well. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I hope you do as well. Hello friends, Pastor Tim Westermeyer here, Senior Pastor of St. Philip the Deacon in the western suburbs of Minneapolis. We are doing something different today. Uh, We've talked about this a lot and finally are getting around to doing an in-studio interview with someone I've talked about before. He's a good friend all the way from Japan, and it's about 1 o'clock, his body time right now, so uh, he cannot be held responsible for anything he says today. Um, Anyway, it's Dave Robison uh, from Just the Watch, and he's here in Minneapolis because he's going to be our featured speaker tomorrow night, the night after we're taping this for our Faith and Life lecture series. So first of all, welcome, Dave. Delighted to have you with us. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here in the the studio. I've watched your guys' podcast, and so it's it's fun to be here actually in person and uh, be a part of it. Good. Well, it's a privilege to have you here. So Dave and I just uh, shared lunch before this. We were talking a little about what we were going to—the goal here is sort of have a free-flowing conversation. Uh, We're assuming it'll be 30 minutes or so. I have a feeling we could talk a lot longer than that. And we will certainly discuss watches. We'll talk about his ministry. We'll talk about his life in Japan. Um, But I wanted to open, and I did give him fair warning about this, um, with a little bit of a background story of how we connected. And it's related to both of our channels um, and something that's been important to me in my own ministry, which is taking risks. So, and I think I've talked about this before since that episode, but in episode 124, which I believe was in July of 2021, we decided, uh, I did an episode explicitly about wristwatches. And uh, I said to Tim, who's behind the camera here and has been with us from the beginning, and thank you, Tim, as always, for your great work. um, I was aware of this event that had happened with a a YouTube watch podcaster named Jody from Just One More Watch uh, in Australia, a Scottish gentleman as it happens, um, whose entire YouTube channel had been taken down uh, with no warning. And within 24 hours, the YouTube watch community uh, contacted YouTube and they were able to sort of resurrect his channel. And so I thought, oh, well, there's, I think there's a message in here somewhere. And I, I sat in front of the camera for the usual kind of episode that Tim and I have been doing now for three years. And I said to Tim, so today we're going to do something a little different. And I felt like I was taking a pretty, it seems silly, but kind of a risk because I was going to disclose and talk about Something that in the grand scheme of things is sort of, you know, you could argue is sort of trivial, but it is an interest of mine, namely wristwatches. And so I felt like I was taking a risk. And one of the beautiful things that happened out of taking that risks risk is that Dave and I connected. And he was kind enough to post that uh, video, and it ended up connecting me as a result with a lot of other people around the world who are interested in watches. Um, So I thought as a starting point, that's a long windup, but as a starting point, um, given that Dave is doing missionary work in Japan um, and the life of faith is obviously important to him, uh, I thought I would simply ask you, Dave, how do you think about uh, taking risks Mm. as it is related to the life of faith, or do you think about it? Yeah. Well, I, I think first off, that part about being nervous about 
sharing about watches that really resonates with me as well as as a as a missionary I've, i went through i think the same challenge and yeah just wondering uh what people i worked with in japan would think if i was wearing nice watches or what supporters would think um and so yeah so that was kind of something that was often going through my mind but in in regards to risk risk taking uh in general i think i went through that a lot uh in my journey into missions uh that was a really big step outside of kind of my comfort zone. Uh, I actually, I went to college with the intent to go into IT work. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was really into computers and I felt like I was good with computers. Uh, this is something I was comfortable with. And so I would stay within that field and try and, you know, serve God to the best of my ability within those boundaries. Uh, but I, in college, I went to Japan on a short-term missions trip. And that was my first time going to Japan, and that was really stepping outside of that comfort zone. Um, I didn't look at it as a risk when I went. I kind of just jumped in thinking, oh, this would be a fun, exciting thing to do. Uh, But it turned out to be a very challenging time. I was doing a lot of things that I wasn't comfortable with. And I remember getting to a point where I, I was almost wondering, you know, was God's whole point in this for me to go and then fail and realize I should I should be more careful mm-hmm. in the future about what I do and not just kind of jump into things. Uh, but it, it turned out uh, throughout the course of the trip, I really saw God pull me through that and use me in a lot of ways that I had never really considered possible. And so that really kind of coming back from that uh, caused me to reevaluate uh, a lot of things. I, I realized, realized that if, if God could use me outside of this box that I had made, uh, then I kind of had to get rid of the box when I was thinking about what my future plans would be because if God could use me in other places, I had to consider that. Whereas before, it was always, this is what I like and I'm comfortable with, so I'll stay here and serve God versus being willing to say, well, well, God can say, go over here and do this and I'll, I'll support you and use you there, mm. even if it's not comfortable. Uh, and so that really was a, a life-changing thing where you know it led to just a series of small steps of God opening doors and me going, okay, well, let's see what happens. Hmm. I'll at least have the faith to see what happens, even if if I'm uncomfortable, even if it seems like a risk. Um, and yeah, kind of through that learning to trust that God could, you know, could co- course correct if necessary. Hmm. Um, that even if I did step a little bit in the wrong direction, he would still be there and be with me and able to, to put me back on the right track. Um, yeah, so that I think, you know, I, I never thought of it in terms of risk taking, but in a way I think that that's sort of the the perspective that has has guided me a lot in my journey through missions. And so you've been in Japan as a missionary for about a decade, is that yeah, about right? Ten years now, yeah. And I don't, again, we didn't script this, uh, but it occurs to me, given the question about risk taking, could you articulate what you yourself have learned in the last ten years through that? work easily or is that oh. would that be a five-hour podcast yeah that might be a little bit longer um i think it, it's kind of a hard thing so just getting to japan like the there's sort of a couple of phases there mm. uh but the the first hurdle was you know being willing to say i'll go mm. uh and that took probably about six years from the time I went to the first first trip there to the time I finally said, okay, God, I'll, I'll, you seem to be opening this door. I'll see what happens if I go in this direction. And then him opening the door for me to get accepted with a missions agency. Um, once I was on that path to Japan, I got excited about it. I was like, okay, so we want to do this. But then the next one was uh, trying to raise the initial support to go. And that, that wound up taking a long time. 
Uh, it took longer than we expected. And kind of through that experience, I was really wanting to get to Japan at that point. Uh, and so when we finally got there, it was a very exciting thing just to, to move to Japan. Um, but then, yeah, being in there for the last 10 years, it's just been a whole nother thing of, of now actually being in country, um, having to struggle with learning the language, having to deal with a lot of the, um, you know, maybe isolation that comes with working in a place where there's a lot less Christian fellowship mm. uh, than I was used to back here in California. Uh, I think there was, it turned out to be a lot more challenging than I had expected, you know, before it was just a, a rush of excitement to get there versus the reality of being there. Um, but I, I think it's kind of been a similar thing as where, you know, e even getting to Japan, we've, we've never had a, a clear sense of what the next year or two years is going to look like. It's always been, here's where we are and Lord, what do we do now? And mm -hmm open up the next door, show us what the next thing is. And we've seen God just be amazingly faithful throughout that whole journey. And so just, I think just learning to trust him and be willing to live in that path that he has for us uh, without always having a, a clear sense of what the, the long-term future is going to look like has been one of the, the things I've really, I think, grown and, and learned from in mm -hmm. that experience. You did talk about this, I know, uh, in your last Q&A, which came out, I think, just in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Um, but maybe uh, for people who didn't see that or who are interested, um, can you just say a little bit about, like, what's the shape of a week look like for you in terms of the church, in terms of the teaching English, yeah. in terms of the channel you're producing? Yeah, so my real job or real work is, is as a, a missionary. We're, we're doing church planting. Uh, so I'm uh, serving in a small rural coastal town in Japan uh, called Miyako. It's one of the cities that was hit by the tsunami back in 2011. Our mother church that we initially worked with when we went to Japan, uh, they have been doing relief work in that city since the tsunami. So for more than 10 years now, uh, they've been supporting relief efforts, and out of that ministry, they decided to plant a church, mm. sent us down. Uh, so we've been on the coast uh, for about five years now, just yeah, just five years. Uh, and so, yeah, we're doing church planting, so weekly we have a, a worship service every mm. Sunday. Uh, so I'm preparing a sermon in Japanese. Uh, we so talked I, a little about that. It sounds yeah, complicated. Still, still complicated. It's <laughs> still a challenge. But yes, I, I write the sermon out in English. I, I run it through a translation software. My wife then fixes it, makes it very good Japanese, and then I've got to go back and be able to read it and you know find the, the words that I have trouble pronouncing and practice it. Uh, so that takes up a good chunk of my time. Another th thing that we do is we teach English. So we teach uh, children's English classes at the church. I do the three classes a week doing that. And then the other main ministry that we have is uh, kind of a carryover from the relief work. Um, when the tsunami hit, there were many people who lost houses. Mm -hmm. And those people have since, uh, many of them have since moved into new housing that was built by the government to replace that. It was a very long process. There were people that were in very kind of temporary housing for much longer than they expected. But now pretty much everybody is into a permanent place. Uh, but one of the challenges that has happened is you've had these people who, you know, probably in their, their previous neighborhood, you know, maybe for generations their family had been in that same neighborhood. And now they're kind of taken from all parts of the city and moved into a new apartment building, for instance. Mm. And so that sense of community that they had with their old neighbors 
um, has just been completely shattered. And for many of them, they're elderly, and it's the first time they're having to try and build relationships with neighbors and, and get together with people in their community. Uh, so we go and we do events in there where people can gather and talk and kind of have fun together. And recently that's sort of morphed into a, a kind of a exercise ministry. So my wife hmm. got certified in an exercise program that's meant for helping elderly people stay active. Hmm. So we've been going to these same uh, housing places that we've been visiting for many years now. Uh, and now offering this kind of exercise course for the elderly residents to come and to move around mm. a little bit and try and support them in that way. So those are kind of the main things that we're okay. doing. So you used a word in that response more than a few times, and I'm hearkening back also to uh, an earlier answer you gave. The word I'm thinking of is community. Mm. And again, you and I have talked a little bit about this off camera, um, and you can correct the specific numbers, but Japan is has a very small percentage of Christians, yeah. and in your particular area, it's it's, it's especially small. Yes. Yeah. And I, I guess I wonder if, um, you know, I think that the demographic trends suggest that Christianity is declining in the mm-hmm. United States. I, I sort of wonder if that's actually true, but be it as it may, there are more Christians in America than in Japan. I yes. think we can say yeah. percentage-wise for sure. Yeah. And I wonder if some of us who are here in the States um, in Christian community uh, maybe take it for granted a little bit. And I wonder how how does it feel to be in a place where your faith is yeah. makes you such an outlier? Mm. Yeah, I, I think that was another thing that was a real shock moving from, from Southern California over to Japan. Uh, I think I was telling you this a little bit earlier, but so our town, we have about 50,000 people mm. in our city. Uh, there's three Protestant churches in the town. And if you combine the church attendance among all three of those churches, there's about 25 people, not, not 2,500, but about 25 people that are regularly attending a Christian church in, in our city out of the 50,000 people wow. there. Um, so very small. Um, and and that that that's just one metric to look at. I mean, when you think about all of the Christian radio stations and even like for me, it's not as bad because I still have access to a lot of those resources because I speak English. But for, mm. for people who don't speak English, which is a lot of people in Japan, there are far fewer uh, podcasts, far fewer radio, television, a lot less Christian resources in general, um, comparatively few books that have been translated mm. from English to Japanese and even less that have been written by Japanese Christians just because the Christian population is so small compared to here in the U.S. Um, so yeah, far less resources and yeah, a lot less community for Christians as well. Um, I think it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a, an interesting thing where I, I feel like so many of my friends here in America have gone through phases where they can, they have the kind of freedom to sort of drift between different churches where if, mm. if one church doesn't fit their, their style or their attitude, or if they have a conflict or something. It's very easy to find another church body that they can, they can be a part of. But for so many Japanese Christians, they don't have that opportunity. So it's, it's, it's a luxury to, to have a church in your city for a lot of people. Um, the fact that you can have any sort of, of Christian fellowship, um, much less a, a choice between multiple fellowships to choose from, uh, is kind of an interesting thing. And yeah, it, it's hard. Yeah, I could, I could probably go on for a, mm-hmm. a long time about the, the different ways that that impacts it. Um, I, I guess one more, uh, it's, it's very difficult for, uh, Christians to meet other Christians 
for romantic prospects for marriage. Mm. And, you know, obviously Japanese Christians, they want to meet other Christians when they're looking for a spouse. Uh, but it's, it's very difficult. Um, the, the churches are very small. Uh, it seems like where a lot of people tend to meet is at Christian camps. It's one of the few mm. areas where Christians from different churches will all gather together. And we see a lot of people that, uh, that meet there and then wind up getting married, um, having met their spouse at camps. So That's kind of an interesting thing. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of these dynamics that you kind of take for granted are, are just, yeah, com- completely different over in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think, um, that's super helpful. I, that's a great response. But I, I think for those of us in the States, I guess I'm thinking of maybe whether you're a member of the church that I serve or some other congregation or somewhere else in the world, um, having a conversation with Dave about the cultural dynamics of Christianity there just makes you realize, oh, we, I probably am not aware of this in a sort of explicit way, but I'm surrounded by people who at some level share my faith. Mm-hmm. And that creates a real wonderful opportunity mm-hmm. to deepen community and yeah. um, and so forth. So I guess just a reminder not to take it for granted. Um, so let, let's shift a little bit. Again, we could talk forever <laughs> about a lot of things, but let, let's move the, into the direction a little bit of, of watches. And maybe before I I frame that up, again, for for folks who are hearing you for, for the first time on this channel uh, or who will hear you tomorrow at Faith in Life, just give a sense of what's your channel, what does it focus on, when did you start it, and sort of what's the history there? Yeah, so we've been talking mostly about missions so far, which, again, is kind of like when I think of what I do, that's what I think of. I, I right. consider myself a missionary. Um, for me, the the watch, so I, I also run a YouTube channel about watches. And, and for me, I've, I've always looked at that as a hobby. And for whatever reason, it seems like as, as the years have gone by, it has just exploded way beyond anything I ever expected. Um, so yeah, I, I run a watch channel, a channel about watches. It's, it's one of the larger channels about watches on YouTube right now, um, which is really surprising to me again. Uh, we just hit a hundred thousand subscribers mm-hmm. this year. Uh, Congratulations, so big, by the way. Big yeah. milestone on that. We're almost there with this podcast, yeah, keep by it the up. way. <laughs> Everybody like, and subscribe. <laughs> Get it? Um, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I, and I, I try and put out a video about once a week, either doing a review of a watch or sometimes I'll, I'll do a list where I talk about a series of watches that are related uh, primarily trying to introduce affordable watches to largely to, to novices. I, I really try and speak to people who uh, are newer into the watch hobby or who maybe I try to rope people into the watch hobby is kind of the audience I, I mostly have in mind. Uh, but I also try and make the reviews useful to people who are more enthusiast level and, and really interested as well. And I suppose actually this would have happened far earlier in most watch uh, podcast, but we probably should do a wrist, wrist check. Wrist we check, hadn't yeah. done that. So what do you have on today? Yeah. So I've got one from uh, a company called Zelos. This is the Zelos Spearfish. So Zelos is a micro brand. So they're a smaller brand. They're not like Seiko or Citizen. They're based in Singapore. Okay. And this is a GMT watch. So it's telling me what time it is in Japan so I can make sure I don't wake up my wife when I call her and tell her. And then I've got it on the uh, the Minneapolis time as well. Uh, another cool thing about this one is the dial is made out of a, a meteorite. So nice. It's got a, a and the GMT thing, and by the way, I'll plug here an interview that we did, a print interview we did, did with Dave, 
with our Inspire magazine where I asked you a question there about sort of trends in the watch uh, world. And you mentioned that a less expensive or more inexpensive GMT movement is one of the stories from the last year, correct? Yeah. And it, so is that a, w what brand? This is not, so this one, oh, th this one has a Swiss movement inside okay. it. So this is a more expensive one. Um, yeah, this is this is one of the ones that Zello sent over to review. So one of the perks of running the channel Got is it. I get a lot of free products. So. Okay. Yeah. Watch uh, manufacturers out yeah. there. Feel free to send watches <laughs> to me as well. Uh, but is, is the new GMT uh, affordable? One a Seiko though. Yeah, Seiko, Seiko came okay. out with the new affordable okay. GMT. And so I did. I thought I about wearing a Seiko today in honor of the you, country. Got I've got a couple here, of yeah. them, uh, but I'm actually wearing a, a Christopher Ward. We'll maybe get shots of these. This is the uh, Trident Pro 300, which is the dive watch they came out with in 2022. And again, Tim, I'll I'll see if I can get a shot of that later. Um, some improvements from the Trident Pro 600. Anyway. Um, what I was going to say about, again, we sort of have opposite and parallel um, <laughs> dynamics going on. So you have a, and it's a wonderful channel, by the way. You do great work on it. And you have, over the years, periodically brought up your faith. But it's certainly the exception yeah. rather than the rule. Most of your episodes are reviewing yeah. a watch that's come out or doing Q&As of, mm. of, of listeners and so forth. And... Um, so you you have a watch channel where you periodically talk about faith, yeah. and I have a faith channel mm -hmm. where, as I already indicated with my very first question to you, I have I think we have I don't know three four five episodes where I talked have talked about watches, um, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know that when I bring up and you talked about it yourself a little early when I talk about watches, which is genuinely a passion and an interest mm -hmm. of mine. I feel a little sheepish or uncomfortable. And so you, you said, you know, a missionary is not supposed yeah. to have watches. And I feel a little like, well, the pastor shouldn't be interested yeah. in that kind of thing. <laughs> and yet here I am. So I guess one of the questions I was going to ask you, and we can talk more about that dynamic of feeling a little sheepish about the watch thing. But what is it about watches that interests you? Isn't it? I, I, that's a question that's yeah. not brought up a lot. Yeah, I don't think anyone's asked me that. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting one. It's it's interesting that you say that because as I got into the watch YouTubing thing, I met a number of other pastors who yes. run YouTube channels. So yes. there's a surprising number of people in ministry that are starting YouTube channels that. about watches. Yes. Apparently, reflections on faith being one of them. It's well, like, on occasion. Uh, on occasion. Yeah. yeah. No, but. Um, yeah, so I, I got the the thing that pulled me back into watch. I think I went through the same thing a lot of people did where I wore like a Casio digital watch or some, I had like a fossil watch when I was a kid and I loved it. I was really liked wearing a watch when I was a kid. Once I got a cell phone, I stopped. Um, yeah. I had, had the time on my cell phone. Uh, and then it was when smartwatches started coming back in. I got a smartwatch early on and it's just so convenient having the time on my wrist, especially when I had kids and I was often, you know, had my hands full carrying, you know, one of my kids around or something, the convenience of being able to check the watch, check the time on my wrist was just great. Um, but I had a really kind of older smartwatch that didn't look dressy at all. Mm. So I thought, well, I often got to look a little bit nicer for church and things. I might want to get an affordable dress watch. And so I bought an MVMT oh. dress watch, which if you're in the watch community, you're all mm, hate me right now yeah. <laughs> because the watch community hates MVMT. So I think Tim and I have talked yeah, about it we'll, actually. We'll get yes. in, yeah, you can yeah, go go just, you know, go watch watch YouTube videos and see that. Um, but yeah, so I didn't know that because I didn't know anything. And I actually liked the watch. It was oh. it was a nice 
simple dress watch. Um, but I got interested, like, oh, I wonder what other people think about this watch. So I st I'll start researching a little bit, found videos on, uh, on YouTube and yeah, just so many people that are really passionate about wristwatches. And I started getting excited about the idea of being able to find affordable watches that, you know, that I could wear and have, you know, a different watch for a different occasion. Um, and then just the, like the idea of getting into, you know, the mechanical watches instead of the battery powered ones and the engineering behind it was just so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in such a, a modern electronic digital society to have something so analog that's really based on a technology from a couple hundred years ago. And yet it still works and in some ways works better. I mean, like if you think about like an Apple watch, the battery life is a couple of days, whereas an automatic mechanical watch will just keep running for as long as you're wearing it. Perpetually, uh, you perpetually, might say. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> um, so things like that, I just got really interested in. And the, the deeper I dug in, the, the more, you know, kind of things that you find. I think, I think a wristwatch, like there's such a huge variety of them, right? Mm. And you can find things that you're interested in, whether it be history or design or style that kind of connect with you. And you can find like a very specific watch that can be very specific to your own interests and personality and, you know, get that. And then, yeah, you have something that, that really appeals to you and you can kind of show it to other people and point mm -hmm. out the little cool features. Of um, it. You met, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, you're going to no, say no. something else. No. Uh, you mentioned the number of, of pastors who are interested in watches and have a YouTube presence. And there are quite a few, no. um, and I've met a handful of them, at least. And a shout out here to Alton, yeah. who I don't know him as well as I know you, but he and I did, of course, he's got a, a, a channel. Uh, he's from Canada. Yeah. Help me with, what's his channel's name? I should remember that. Half Past Blog. Half Past Blog, yeah. thank you. I had a little brain Like thing. and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> but I actually connected with Alton. I think it was after that episode 124, and Alton, I don't know if you're watching this, but if you are, I really uh, thank you for your um, your thoughts on this because I actually had a little Instagram back and forth with him about exactly this. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, do you ever feel sad or yeah. guilty or <laughs> yeah. sheepish about the watch thing? And he was very. Um, I hope I'm not talking out of school here, Alton, but he was like, not at all. I, I worked hard to become a pastor. I, I I give a lot of money to the church and other charities. And this is something I'm passionate about. And I think there's something to be said for that. And back to that first point I made, too, I guess it's related to all of this. Uh, I mentioned now a couple times feeling a little sheepish about the watch thing. Um, I, I And I do think there's a sermon in here or a faith lesson <laughs> here. When we disclose something about ourselves, mm. in this case, I mean, it's totally innocuous. It's yeah. liking watches. It's not like it, uh, it's not bad. Yeah. But when we disclose that and we're honest about it, I actually do think God can use that mm. disclosure to create um, interesting connections mm. or bring us further along the path of life or faith. Yeah. And I, I've said this to you offline as well. Um, there's Alton, I mentioned him, but there are a lot of other people I've connected with um, can, in the watch hobby over the years now uh, from... Uh, Australia and South Africa and Canada and California, uh, Japan. That's an incredible, um, I think, a real blessing of this platform, of the technology yeah. of social media. Um, 
and I give thanks for that. I mean, I'm, it, it's again, it's been delightful to have you here. I'm glad you were able to make the long trip to Minnesota. There are, however, I think some uh, risks or downsides mm-hmm. with social media. And maybe for, uh, this is less about people who are consuming social media, but for producers of content, and I consider myself a very kind of small potatoes compared to the stuff you're doing, but can you talk a little bit about what I I assume at least are the risks of having a channel where it's easy to look at the analytics, Mm, it's easy to look at the likes and the subscription rate, and figuring out how do you not chase the wrong goal is it, there's you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah. no yeah that's that's a that's a good question um and i think so I, i'm going to put this more in terms of, of my context as a as a missionary but it, it probably will apply a little bit more broadly but i think a challenge for me and a struggle for me is again ministering in a, in a country that is, is very difficult and sees from one perspective to look at it very little progress mm. um it's in terms of the growth of Christianity, in terms of the growth of Christianity, that you know, we're trying to plant a church, so we're hoping to see new people become Christians, and that seems to be a long process. Uh, so, if you're looking at the, you know, again, you talk about numbers and looking at the analytics. If you look at the analytics of my ministry as a church planter, uh, that can look like not a lot is happening, and I think that there's an, an ego hit there, mm. and I, I, a temptation for me then is to try and try and fill that with the analytics from the watch side of things and say, oh well. If my watch channel is doing well, then that that validates me in some way uh, as a as a, a person. Like so, I'm I'm doing something that's successful, and you know, trying to fill that in there. And I think that's a very dangerous thing when you you start tying in you know your identity and your worth with something like social media or likes or subscriber numbers and that kind of thing. Um, so for me, that that's a constant challenge to try and balance that and try and not. Uh, allow that to take too prominent uh, a place in my mind and in my heart, um, but it, it is a challenging thing. It's it's kind of a everyday temptation to to really mm. look at that for validation. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think it's a, a particularly healthy thing if you if you allow it to. And so, how do you spot. prevent that? How or how do you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's at least been helpful uh, to be in a place that is completely disconnected from the watch YouTube channel. So mm-hmm. I do a watch YouTube channel. I do it in English and I do it talking about watches that are, you know, a lot of lesser known watches. So not particularly popular ones. So in my kind of my real life in, in Japan, uh, there, there is almost nobody who ever mentions my YouTube channel or my watch hobby or, or any of that. So I don't get like a overly inflated ego from you're from not any a of celebrity that. in not your own all. hometown. Not at all. Yeah. No, nobody, nobody knows who I am there. Uh, so I think that's helped. I think, mm. um, I think that again, just my, my daily existence is completely disassociated from the kind of online presence and the, mm. the watch channel. Um, so I think that's, yeah, been a, been a help there. Uh, but yeah, I think it, a lot of it is just kind of in- intentionally focusing on and reminding myself, you know, what my purpose and, and calling and mm-hmm. uh, life direction is and, and finding that identity, I think, in Christ and as a Christian, uh, finding my worth and value in that and what God's done for me uh, and focusing on that rather than, you know, letting the the 
watch side of things and mm-hmm. the, the success or failure of a ch- of the channel or of a individual video. It's like every time you release a video, you're like, okay, so how's this one performing in the first 30 minutes, first hour, first day? Right. Uh, yeah, you can, you can get sucked yeah. into it pretty easy. In different ways, and I, I actually have not been paying attention to the time. I think we're going to wrap it up relatively quickly here, but um, do you have, you've said a couple times, and I am in agreement with you that I guess one simple way to say it is that, you know, God is in control, that it's fine to have some general sense of direction, but when we try to script our lives too much, maybe we're holding on too tight or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, that said, do you have, what are your dreams for, I guess a couple things, what are your dreams for your ministry to the degree mm-hmm. you have them? And, and also separately, uh, what are your dreams for your channel? Yeah, I can I can give you a lot more specific dreams about the ministry than the channel because yeah. again the, the channel was completely unexpected. Okay. Like I started the channel five years ago and it was just kind of let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And now I'm I'm still trying to figure out what happened and what <laughs> what I should do from here okay. on out with it. So that I, I really don't know. It's it's kind of always been well, I'll just see what happens next. Um as far as ministry goes, I mean our our vision and our hope has always been uh, to enable Japanese churches to reproduce. Like that's, mm. that's what we want to see. I feel like, you know, if, if we want to see uh, the gospel take root in Japan and grow in Japan to see people come to Christ, uh, the only way that's going to happen is if you have a, a vibrant Japanese-led community where churches are starting new churches, are raising up their leaders. Uh, so we want to support that and see that happen uh, and that's one of the things that we're excited about working with uh, a Japanese church in uh, in Morioka that's uh, that's the mother church of our church plant uh, to see them take that step of faith and to become a church planting church was such an amazing thing for us and that was one of the things that we really felt God leading us to, to go in that direction to come down to the city in Miyako so that we could work with them and continue to support them in that. We would love to see our church that we're planting one day grow to become a reproducing church, mm. uh, which is like, from from a lot of perspectives, you might look at that as a, an unrealistic goal. I think a lot of people would not have that on the radar, but I, it's one of the things I'm really trusting and, and hoping that God will do. Mm. Uh, but yeah, our, our city is looked at as a very small city. Uh, I think when we went there, we talked to the other pastors in the city. And again, so before our church was started there, there were only two Protestant churches in the city mm-hmm. with very few people going out of 50,000 people. And their response was, well, why are you coming to start a new church here? I think I think we've got enough churches and there's probably not going to be any other people huh. becoming Christians. So they, Interesting. Did, they, they weren't hostile. They were yeah. just, they didn't see it as a, a even a need or a, a real possibility. So for us to have the hope of this church growing to the point where it can support a Japanese pastor and then one day go and plant new churches. Um, we haven't seen that really happen in rural places in Japan in recent years, certainly not in, in our prefecture. But yeah, that would be, I would love to see God do something mm. like that. And that's one of the things we're praying for and, and hoping for. But at the same time, we're trying to say, you know, we're, we're going to be faithful and we're going to allow God to work how he deems best. And mm-hmm. if it continues to go as it seems to have gone for what seems like generations in the past, uh, we want to be faithful in that and, you know, sort of till the ground until the harvest comes. But we would really love to see the harvest come mm. in our in our generation, I feel like. 
But. So last question, it's related exactly to that. So I, I reached out to you again. It must have been in like summer of 21 or we talked sometime then to start thinking about having you come here. And again, I'm so glad you said yes. I know that since you booked the, the trip to um, Minneapolis, um, you are also going to be visiting some of your supporting churches in California. And I pray that those visits are, you know, helpful and help to increase your work. It occurs to me, though, that there may be people listening here who may want to help you in your ministry. So if they wanted to do that, how would they go about doing that? Uh, you can check out our website. If you go to okay. daveantomo.com, uh, there's information there that'll tell more about what we're doing, and there it'll, it'll explain the different ways you can get involved. If, uh, if you're interested in supporting us financially, you can do that there. If you're interested in praying for us, we send out a prayer letter. We'd love to keep anybody who's interested updated on what's going on and invite you to, yeah, to be a part of that work there in whatever way nice. God would lead you. Beautiful. Anything else you want to add or? No, I think this has been great. I mean, we are I'm just so happy that you were able to bring us out here, and it's just been such a blessing to be here even for that. Mm. For well, I guess we just got in yesterday. Yeah, yesterday night. I'm, yeah. I'm confused on the timing <laughs> and everything. No, but it, it's been great so far, and um, yeah, really thank you very much for, for bringing us out here. Well, you're most welcome, and thanks for taking a little time today. Um, and I guess I'm going to sign off. Thank you for taking a, a look at this thing, and as always, be well, stay in touch, and God bless. Thank you.